0: Today we're going to be in the book of Daniel. If you you have a Bible, go ahead and flip over to the Daniel. We're going to start a new series, really transitioning from the field series, which actually uh, kind of plays into today a little bit based on what we're going to look at. But we're going to start a a six-week series on the book of Daniel. And so uh, next week, if you want to do a little pre-work, read chapter two of Daniel. You'll be prepared. You'll know the answers for when Curtis comes to preach. Uh, You'll be ready for him. So we're going to be in in Daniel chapter 1, but before we get there, I just want to give us a really high-level background of Daniel. It's good to just kind of know what's going on, who wrote the book before we get in in chapter 1. So so high-level. The the book and the things that take place in the the book were between 605 and 536 B.C. So about 600 years before Jesus ever showed up is where this book is written. And uh, it's important to know the author. Uh, we see this, and I'm pretty confident based on my study that, that Daniel is indeed the author of Daniel. Now that saying may sound kind of weird, but there are some dialogues about that. But, but I say that because in chapter 7 verse 15 and chapter 8 of verse 15 it says, I Daniel, and he says the rest. So we're pretty confident that Daniel actually wrote this book. Uh, there are some that think maybe otherwise, but the other piece of The clue that we have is in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Jesus himself points back to the prophecy of Daniel and and talks about that. And so we have two sources. Both Daniel himself says, hey, this is Daniel writing this book. And Jesus said, hey, by the way, Daniel wrote the book. And so we feel pretty confident today that the author is Daniel. Now, the book, we're going to split up into two sections, the first six chapters and the last six chapters. We're only going to look at the first six chapters of Daniel. Uh, The first six are really a history uh, of what was taking place in the time. Uh, Laced within that history are some prophetic things that were kind of near future events versus the last six chapters of the book are more prophetic in nature that talk about what is to come, both near term from Daniel but also at the end of time when Jesus comes back. This is where we get a lot of our information about what is to come in the future. But for our series, we're going to look just at the first six chapters books of daniel or first chapters of, of daniel now there's five themes that, that as i've read through and as i've studied i see so if you want to write these down you can five themes theme number one it's a call to faithfulness and obedience even in the midst of hardship faithfulness in the media, in the midst of hardship the second thing i see is that the sovereignty of god is all over the world that god is above all and in all That God will establish his eternal kingdom regardless of how we respond. He will make it happen because he is sovereign. Number three, the power of prayer. Now, if you want to understand prayer a little bit, we're not going to get to this chapter. But if you go to chapter 10 of Daniel, you'll see this amazing interaction where Daniel prays and he begins to fast for 21 days. And an angel comes to speak to Daniel and and says, hey, at, at the time that you prayed, your prayer was heard. So so if you're questioning, man, I'm praying, but is my prayer going anywhere? We see Daniel gives us this amazing insight where he says, listen, from the time you prayed, God on the throne, he heard your prayer. And what we see in chapter 10 of Daniel is this amazing uh, insight to what's going on all around us that we don't give a a lot of credit to. He says there was this angelic battle going on. When you prayed, the response to your prayer was actually coming, but there was this angelic battle that actually hindered it. And then Michael comes in. The angel, and says, actually, I'm going to go ahead and push through this. Here's your answered prayer. So if you're sitting there wondering, man, does this prayer have power? <laughs> Look at chapter 10 of Daniel because we see consistently through the book that there is power and prayer. God hears our prayers. He responds to prayer. The next one we see is that God is persistently present in all circumstances. Consistently, persistently present in all circumstances. And then the last one, which I think... Uh, is really steep throughout all of Daniel is the necessity to depend upon God, and that it really is a sign of spiritual maturity for a person to depend on God in all circumstances. So that's kind of the higher level kind of themes that we're going to see throughout Daniel, but today we're just going to look at chapter 1, and so... What I thought we would do is I'm going to walk through a quick summary of chapter one, and then there's three things that I felt the Lord was stirring in me that I want to share with you that I believe are applicable to our body today. Is that all right with you guys? The only answer is yes, because I already prepared. So this is where we're going. So so chapter one, let's get a little background. Look at verse number one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, I get credit for that, uh, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, now we've got to understand a little history. I'm not going to bore you, so don't fall asleep yet. Just wait a little bit longer. Uh, we're going to go look at the history because at this time there were two, um, two sects of uh, the Hebrews, the people. There was the, the northern kingdom, the Israelites, but then there was also the southern kingdom that was Judah. Now, now, at the time this book was written, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, had already been captured by Babylon, so they were already exiled. So the only thing left was the lower, the southern section was Judah. And what we see here when King Nebuchadnezzar, or King Neb, like I call him, King Neb, he takes over. He goes in and he captures and besieges uh, the, the kingdom of Judah. The remaining Hebrews now have come under the authority of the Babylon government. And we see this, King Neb. And like any good king, when you take over an area, you're going to say, I want the best of what that area has to offer. Both I want their things, but I also want their best people to now serve me. And so we see this in verse 3. Look in verse 3. It says, Then the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. So what we see is King Nebuchadnezzar's army takes over Judah, and he says, listen, now I want the best that Judah has to offer. I want them to serve me, okay? And so we see he goes and he pulls out these amazing men by all accounts, amazing young men, and he pulls them into his kingdom. And then in verse 6, we meet a few of them. This is what I call the the faithful four. Michigan had the fab five. Uh, Daniel had the faithful four. Look in verse 6 says, uh, among these, so among those that he had called out to come back to the, to the kingdom uh, in Babylon, the king Neb, among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called, called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshech. And Azariah he called Abednego. I just earned my paycheck on that one. So what we see is he he called a bunch of people out and he said, bring them to me. And what we see here, we meet these four specific men. Now, Now what's interesting is that their names actually, their original Hebrew, Israel names, they point us to the fact that they had parents that at least recognized God. They were raised in some kind of godly because all of their original names had something to do with God being who God is. But what we see is as soon as they're pulled into Babylon, what King Neb wants to do is he wants to desensitize them from their culture. He wants to, to make them uh, Babylonian as much as possible. So he says, I'm going to change your name. No longer are you Daniel. You're now Belteshazzar. And, and what's interesting is their original names, most of them um, honored God. But what's interesting, when they renamed them, their new names, most of them actually honored the Babylonian gods. You see, his desire from the very beginning was, let's get all of the Israel out of them. Let's get all of this God nonsense out of them. Let's change their name and brainwash them to be like us from the very beginning. And then we see these four, they're in this training camp for three weeks, three three years, training camp. They're going to learn about Babylon, all the literature, and they're going to eat the king's food. They're going to drink his wine. But in verse 8, we see Daniel, he actually chooses to abstain from the king's food. And he asked them uh, not to make him eat the food. Look at verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And so what we see here is that, that he actually said, I'm not going to eat the king's meat or the king's wine. Now, now we're in Texas, um, and so let me just tell you, this is not a pro-vegetarian moment right? This, this is not God saying, hey, it's great to just eat vegetables, meat is bad. That's not what we're saying here. What is happening here is that the meat and the wine had already been offered to another God with a lowercase g. And so what Daniel says, I don't want to eat that God to devi- or eat that food that was offered to another God, so I'm not going to defile myself because we know God loves meat, right? Amen. We're in Texas. Amen. Amen. Brisket. Give me some brisket, baby. Because we know in Acts 10, for all you men out there, what what was the vision he gave Peter? (laughs) He told Peter a vision, and he said, go, kill, and eat. And all the men said, amen. Okay? So God is not just pro-vegetarian. He's an equal opportunity God. He gives both credence to vegetables and meat, and I am so grateful that I live in a state that loves meat. The first group thought that was much funnier. I'm sorry. So we see this, that he didn't want to defile himself, to eat this meat that had been offered to another god. And then we see, continue on to verse 17, it says, because of their desire to obey God, it says in verse 17, that as these four youths, the faithful four, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in visions and dreams. And so because of their obedience, because of their faithfulness, God supernaturally gives them Favor and honor in the eyes of the king. And so we see this. And then verse 20, it says, after the end of the three-year training, they get pulled before the king and they're tested. And it says in verse 20, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better. Which is an idiom to say far exceeding, way better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. So after this three years of obedience to God, faithfulness to God, the king drew them in and starts giving them a pop quiz, and what he found was they were way far above anybody else in the kingdom. They were faithful. And then this last verse, verse 21, we find out that that Daniel remained in service of the king until the first year of the king of Cyrus, which is approximately 67 years of service to several different kings. If you think you've been in your job a long time, look at Daniel. Daniel a job he didn't sign up for, a job that he was called to by God, 67 years. And then he continued to prophesy a few more years after that. And so that's like the Cliff Notes version, Derek's version. If you want to go read all of it, you can today. But, but what I want to jump at is three things that stood out to me that we can take from Daniel today. These three things, if you're taking notes. God assigns, we resolve, God equips. God assigns, we resolve, God equips. And we see this. God assigns right out the gate. Verse 2, chapter 1. It says, And the Lord gave johiakim king of Judah, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar with some of the vessels of the house of God. Now, who gave over the king of Judah? Oh, you're scared, aren't you? God. So so we see from the very beginning that God had an intention. He took this this kingdom of Judah and he says, okay, now is the time. I'm going to give Judah into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. It was God that did that. And so when we look at Daniel, what was Daniel's assignment? Where did God place him? He placed him in Babylon to have influence over influencers and specifically to influence the king. That was the assignment that Daniel had was to be in Babylon. Now, how many of us, though, can relate to Daniel in this moment? I mean, he had a boss that he didn't plan on having. He, he never thought he would be in Babylon. His desire was to be in Judah. He had a power-hungry and arrogant supervisor who didn't know God. Anybody else ever been there? Can you relate? I think many of us can, and maybe today you're sitting there saying, Derek, you're exactly right. That's where I'm at today. I'm not happy. I didn't think this is where I'd be at this point in my life. I thought things would be different. I thought I'd be so much more successful. I thought I'd have a better promotion by now. I thought I'd have a boss that actually liked me. I thought I'd have a boss and a workplace that honored God, but I live in the complete opposite, and I'm frustrated. Here's what Daniel would say to that. To fulfill God's assignment, we must embrace the present. To fulfill God's assignment, we must embrace the present, because the reality is every single person in this room today has been given an assignment from God, and it's right under your nose. We just came off of this field series, and this is exactly what we're talking about. God has placed you where he has placed you for a purpose. He is not surprised that you two are where you're at today. Hear me, I know you guys are going through some stuff and trying to figure it out. Listen, he didn't, he's not surprised that things have worked out maybe a little differently than you thought. He understands. You're where he wants you to be. Don't miss out on that. Every single person in this place has been given an assignment for God, and it's right where you are. Right where you are. That is where God has planted you. And, and one good friend of mine, he always told me, which always frustrated me. He says, grow where you're planted, Derek, because I'm a dreamer. I can dream with the best of you. I can look out on the horizon and say, man, this is what's going to happen. And then the grass is always greener out there. But he would always tell me, Derek, Derek, you're getting your eyes out too far. Listen, God has planted you here for a reason. Grow right here. And so some of us in this room, we're frustrated. <laughs> we're not where we wanted to be. And, and the word for you today is God has appointed you right now for today. Embrace it. Grow where you are. Have been planning, and this goes against the excuses that many of us make when we say, "Man, I'll start obeying God when I fill in the blank." I'll start praying for my workplace when I get these jobs done. I'll start sharing my faith at work when I get a little bit mature in my faith. Anybody else ever said that? Or maybe the challenging one that I've struggled with up until about five years ago is, "I'll start tithing." When I make X amount of money. You know, the, the, the problem with that is that all of these, I will, when this happens, it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. Am I going to trust God or am I not going to trust God? Because he says, be a steward, Derek, of what I've given you today and then I'll grow what I give you stewardship for. So if I'm making $50,000, 10% of 50000 is $5,000. And I think, man, if I could just make 100000 I'll then I'll tie. But then when I have to get to 100000 guess what? It's double. It's 10000 God, maybe when I get to a million dollars, oh, crap, now it's $100,000. You see what God is calling us to? He's given us assignment. Be faithful to what he's given you today. Depend on him today. This is the assignment that he has given you. God isn't surprised where you're at in life. He's not surprised at the the authority that you have or don't have. He's not surprised at the influence you have or you don't have. The reality is he has placed you where he wants you. He took Daniel from Judah and placed him as a prisoner of war for his purpose. And Daniel said, I I accept this assignment, and I'm going to be faithful right now. That's what God's calling you to today, too. No matter if it's what you wanted or not, he has placed it right before you. Will you be faithful? See, Daniel was given Babylon. Deborah, the great judge, was given Israel. Paul was given the Gentiles. And so we have to answer the question, what has God given you today for your assignment? Where has he placed you during this season? Because let me tell you, God doesn't waste seasons. He doesn't waste assignments. And you may be saying, well, when I just get this job and when my family gets a little bit more organized, then I'll start doing what God's asking me to do. No, God says, today I've given you an assignment. I want you to be faithful now. And so we see the first thing in Daniel that God assigns. The second thing we see in verse 8. Look at verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Now, what's interesting here, this word resolve, it means to determine, to set out, to stand for or to stand against. So resolve. And so many of us, we resolve for lots of different things. I shared a little bit about my story when when I played football in college. When when I first tried out, I tried out with about 100 other men. Nobody made the team. Like, we just, nobody. They're like, none of you chumps are any good, so you're not going to be part of our team. And so I walked away kind of with my tail between my legs and in that moment, I had to decide, was I going to resolve to make the team or was I not going to resolve? And was I going to give in and just say, maybe that wasn't my purpose? But thankfully, my lovely bride-to-be, she said, Derek, I-, I think that you're supposed to try to do this again. And so in that moment, I made a choice and I resolved that I was going to be part of the team. And this is what resolve means. Resolve means that I'm going to give up on the good so that I can have the better. It means that as I'm resolved to make the team in college, what it meant for me is I'm not going to go out and party because I know the next day I'm waking up at 5 a.m. to go run 40s to get faster. It means that I'm going to wake up and have a 7.30 a.m. class on coaching football. Who wakes up at 7.30 in the morning except somebody in college who is resolved to be part of something greater? And so I resolved to do this. I've made it my priority. I gave it my attention. This is what the word means. And we see here that Daniel says, I, he resolved to not defile himself. Now, what does it mean? See, the bigger picture is Daniel wasn't just resolving to not defile himself. His intention was, I'm going to be resolved to be faithful to God no matter what. See, that changes how we looked at it. He said, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to... Depend on God. What's interesting is Daniel didn't use his unexpected career to give him a free pass on being unfaithful to God. Now that's a challenge and encouragement to some of us in this room that are frustrated where we're at career-wise. Things haven't gone my way. Listen, that's a really bad excuse not to trust God and depend on God. We see this in Daniel. That This is what he did. He said, no matter what, I'm going to stand I'm going to be resolved, and I'm going to trust God, because Daniel was a man of conviction. Now, how many of you listen to country music? You can go ahead and raise your hand. It's okay. No judgment. Uh, I listen to country music, too, a little bit. There's a song back in the day, and maybe you know it. It says, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Anybody remember that song? Great little tune. So much truth in it. Because if you don't stand for something, then anything is on the table, and so what we see Daniel do is he stood for being faithful to God. Stood here and to be faithful for God. And so when everybody else around him was saying, oh man, the meat is here. Let's go eat the meat. Let's forget about where we were. Let's not be faithful to God. What Daniel said, no, I'm resolved to be faithful. I'm standing on this and I'm not going to fall. When everybody else around him fell. And so we see a man of conviction. See, resolve is a product of faith. Resolve doesn't compete with faith. It doesn't try to take over for faith. Faith is actually what bears resolve. Resolve, is, it says, even in the face of adversity and trial, I will keep my eyes on Jesus. I will trust him. This is what Paul says when he says, when you've done all else, stand. Paul's saying, resolve. Trust me. Have faith in me. Follow me. Depend me. On me, this is resolve. What we need is less people that talk about resolve and more people that are resolved, that respond when God speaks. More disciples that are willing to take risks when they sense God moving. We need more men and women like Daniel who say, I see the possible consequence. I see the possible outcomes, the possibility of being passed for a promotion, the possibility of moving, the possibility of my ministry changing the possibility of humility, and yet we still choose to trust God. This is what Daniel did. He said, I resolve to be faithful. I'm going to depend upon God. Now, there's many examples uh, of this throughout the scriptures. One of the guys that's uh, one of my favorite uh, individuals to study is George Mueller. Anybody ever heard of George Mueller? Man, an incredible dude. Uh, He was a pastor, and his life was kind of chaotic. He thought he'd be a missionary. The Lord said, no, you're not going to be a missionary. And so the Lord told him, you're going to start orphanages in Bristol, United Kingdom. And what the Lord told him is that you're never to ask for money from anyone. Now, how many of you know that ministries usually cost money, right? You can go ahead and raise your hand. How many of you know that, that starting orphanages costs a lot of money, right? Lots and lots of money. Well, well, the Lord told him, don't ask for money. Let me be your provision. And so we see In George's life, that that he was a man who had to depend upon God for everything. And and what we find out later is that over 10,000 orphans came through his ministry in 60 years. And never once did he ask anybody for money. You see, George, he had an assignment from God. Go take care of the orphan. And what he says is, I'm going to resolve to trust God, to obey God. And we've got plenty of examples in this room of men and women that are doing just that and all types of things. Will I resolve to trust God? And so what I've got to ask myself is, what has God spoken to you where he has asked you to remain obedient even in the face of consequence? What has he called you to that you are not following because you're scared or that you've said, I'm going to settle for something less than what God's called me to? That right there is what God wants to call you out to today. Obedience, radical dependence upon God like George Mueller, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The last thing I see here today in verse 17, if you have your Bible. So these guys are in the midst of their three-year training for faithful men. Verse 17 says, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in visions and dreams. So listen, God assigns us an assignment. He asks us, will you choose, will you resolve to be faithful? And then the third thing we know is that God will equip you to accomplish the assignment that he has given you. We see this throughout the book of Daniel. And the, the quote that comes to mind is, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. You've probably heard that before. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Now, we see these four young men, like they were studs, like they were amazing in the world's perspective because they were obviously selected to come into the kingdom of King Neb. So they were awesome, but they weren't awesome enough to fulfill the assignment that God gave them. Do you understand that? It wasn't on their own accord that they were able to have faith. It says here in verse 17 that God gave them learning and wisdom at the right time. See, they weren't able to fulfill their assignment because of how they were created. They were able to fulfill it because God took their creation and he supersized it at the right time for his purpose. This is how God operates. If you flip over to chapter 2 verse 19... We're gonna give you a little teaser for next week, chapter two. Don't tell Curtis. I went ahead and stole his material here. We see that that Daniel is uh, has been called in to to give uh, King Neb um, uh, an interpretation of his dream, and nobody else can do it. and And so they call on Daniel, and Daniel comes in. And what I love is it's the timing of the understanding. He says in 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Everybody say then. Then. So it wasn't an hour before. It wasn't a day before. It was at the right time Daniel was given the interpretation of the vision. See, this is how God equips at the right time for the right purpose is when God takes your natural and adds his supernatural to it. We see this, and we see Daniel, he, he got this in verse 23, it says, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what we have asked you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. And so what Daniel said, at the right time, God gave me the interpretation, and he said, I know it was not me, it was from God. You see, God equips us, he supersizes our favor and our ability to be supernatural at the right time, at the right place, and we see time and time throughout the scriptures. Uh, think about Moses. Moses was a man that God said, "Hey, I'm going to use you and now you're going to go to the Pharaoh and you're going to say, "Let my people go." And, and there was a great thing that God asked him to do, but what did Moses say to God? <laughs> "Hey God, I, I know you just you're, you're the I am and you created everything, but but did you overlook that I've got a stuttering problem? Like did you see that?" And so What we see is Moses is called to go do. He's an assignment, but what's he do? He points to his inadequacy. He says, God, I can't. But what we see is God actually equips him. He gives him another man to go with him, and he also empowers Moses to speak. You see, God equipped at the right time. We look at Gideon in the Bible. When when the angel came to Gideon, Gideon was scared and hiding. He was not looking like a brave man. And God said, you, Gideon, are going to be the judge of my people, and you're going to lead them in a battle. And Gideon's like, hey, 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 God, <laughs> have you seen my family history? And by the way, have you, have you looked at my past? Like, I'm not the bravest guy in the world. Yet God says, don't worry about that. I'm going to equip you at the right time for my purposes. And I think some people in this room, maybe you're making excuses for your family. God can't use me because my family. God can't use me because of my past." Hear this, that's a poor excuse because God says, I will equip you at the right time to fulfill the, the thing that I've called you to. And the last example that I see in scripture, there's plenty of them, but when Jesus gathers his disciples, he says, listen, you young boys, you teenagers, you're going to flip the world upside down. You're going to usher in the kingdom of God. You're going to start the church. But these young men, they were teenagers, many of them. They they weren't educated, many of them. They didn't have hardly any social platform. Yet God says, listen, I'm calling you. I've given you assignment. I just want you to choose to be obedient and to be faithful, and I'm going to equip you at the right time, at the right place. See, this is the great news for all of us in this room today, that God equips, not you. He takes your natural, and he adds his supernatural. So I got to ask another question. Is there an area of your life where God has called you and you are choosing excuses over faith? Is there something God has been stirring in you to say, hey, step out, but you are prioritizing your inability over God's ability? If that's the case, the worth is for you. Do you trust God? Will you resolve to be faithful because what we see in George Mueller, he, he said, I'm going to resolve. And what we see in George Mueller is a man who was so dedicated and dependent upon God that everything he did was an act of faith. There's so many stories. If you, if you look up on Google, George Mueller, you can do that in 10 minutes. Don't do that now. But you can look up George Mueller, and I would say, man, get his biography, amazing man of faith. But one story that I love is, is that one day he, he's at his orphanage, and they have no money and no food for breakfast, neither one. So he goes and gets this little girl named Abigail that's an orphan. And he goes to her and he says this amazing thing. This shows the faith. He says to this little girl, hey, watch what your father is going to do. And he wasn't talking about himself. So he takes this little girl into the place where they were going to eat. They're all sitting down. George blesses the food. There was no food to bless, but he went ahead and blessed the food. And he finished the prayer, a blessing over the food they were about to eat that they didn't have. And all of a sudden on the door they opened the door and it was one of the town's bakers and he said George I couldn't sleep all night long I felt like you needed help with breakfast and so I made a bunch of extra bread and I brought them for your kids here you go at the same time another knock on the door (laughs) this time it wasn't a baker it was the milkman and he said hey my my truck just broke down the road and my milk's going to be spoiled and so I, I don't need to offload it. So, so I'm going to give all your orphans all of my milk. You see, you see, in that moment, what George was showing is that he trusted God. And what he was doing is he was leading young Abigail into see that God is faithful, that he gave George an assignment. Go and build orphanages. That he said, George, I want you to either be resolved to do it or, or you're not going to do it. But you got to make the decision. Am I in or am I out? And what we see in George's life is he said, I'm going to resolve to trust God in it. And as George took those steps of faith daily, you can read the biography, daily, time after time, God provided and equipped just for that moment. And what, what I love about the Lord and how he orchestrates all this is he gives us a great example in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like great example of men. He also gives us guys like George Mueller and tons of others. He also gave us people in this room that are living this out, but he also gave us the perfect example in Jesus And Jesus lived this exact same thing. Jesus was given an assignment. He was given an assignment. Hey, leave heaven and all the glory and go down and wrap yourself in flesh and be born of a woman. And that's a big trade-off. Go and be the exact expression of the Father. Reveal the kingdom of God. And by the way, you're going to go on a death assignment. You're going to die for people that hang you on the cross. But oh, by the way, in three days you're going to raise up. And 40 days later you're going to come back to be with me. You see, Jesus was given an assignment from the Father, but Jesus also had to resolve. Sometimes we chalk up Jesus to doing the things that Jesus did because he was God. But Philippians tells us that he emptied himself and he constrained himself completely to a human body. So everything Jesus did was done out of his humanity, not out of his godliness. At any time, he could have pushed the God button, no question, no question. But the scriptures tell us he, he never once did that. He walked this earth as a man who was connected to the Father by the Holy Spirit. The scriptures tell us that he was equipped with the Spirit to fulfill the assignment when he was baptized by John the Baptist. It says that he was baptized and the Father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then what happened? What what flew down? The Spirit in the form of a dove came and rested upon Jesus. It's the first time we see in Luke where it says that Jesus was filled up with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. Hebrews tells us that the Spirit is what allowed Jesus to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to know the minds of men, to speak and preach with authority. It was the spirit that gave Jesus the ability to raise from the dead. And what the joy that we have today, that Jesus was assigned, He was resolved, He was equipped, is that same spirit that equipped Jesus is given to each one of us. Somebody's got to give an amen to that. Because I think sometimes we just chalk this up to like, okay, Derek's on a spirit kick again. I'm not. See, it was the Spirit that equipped God. And what did Jesus tell the disciples? Say, don't go anywhere until the Spirit has come upon you and empowered you. Then you can go, because at that point, you will be equipped. So what we see, Jesus, he lives this life. He's assigned. He resolves. He's equipped by God in the right time, in the moment. And he says, listen, I'm now taking that baton of lifestyle, and I'm giving it to you. As I was sent, so I am sending you to do the very exact thing. And so my encouragement to you today, embrace where God has placed you. Embrace it. He's assigned you a specific reason for this specific season. It may not always be that way, but don't miss out and don't waste it. And in that moment, you are called to resolve to trust God. And as we take steps of faith... He says, I will equip you. I will show favor and I will show grace at the right time so that you can fulfill the assignment that I've given you. And that's my prayer for all of us today, that we would not be naive, that we would not push against where God has placed us, that we would embrace it. That we would fulfill what he has called us to, which is the assignment, the field, whatever you want to call it. And I want to pray this prayer of blessing over you from Hebrews as we close today. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. It says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will. Did you catch that? He prayed that he would equip them to do the will of God, literally to do the assignment he had given them. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom the be glory forever and ever amen this is my prayer for you church that we would be equipped to know god has given us assignment to resolve to say i'm going to be faithful even when nobody else wants to be faithful and that we can trust that he will assign us or that he will equip us let me pray lord thank you that you are a god who is with us you're not a god who is separate that you're not a god who is distant but you're a god who is with us in us that you've made us your temple for your holy spirit to empower us, to equip us to go into our field, to go into our assignment, to manifest the kingdom of God, to allow people to see the light and salt that you've called us. Lord, today I ask that you would encourage us, that you would really call us out for areas where we're not trusting you, where we're giving into our perceived inability over your ability. Lord, walk us into truth. Give us understanding in the situation we're in so that we cannot waste where you place this today. In Jesus' name.